High noon here at Mutiny Radio, and Cope's all slow, so we're just gonna fix that up right there. Make her sound normal, yeah. High noon, Wednesday, Cinco de Mayo. Exciting day. Getting plugged in right now to the Zoom with Aaron Gannon. I believe Andy Talbot will be joining us later. We've got some scratch poetry tonight. We've got I've got new poems. I'm excited. New, well, you know, new to you. None of you have heard them. I've been writing for years, and now finally I have a medium to share poetry. I, I love poems so much. I really do. Um, I am a big, I'm, I'm really excited about CPCL, Choose Poetry, Choose Life. It's been going for a full year now, and we're coming up on our anniversary, I think, next week or something. But it's amazing, we've been doing this every other Wednesday and sharing work internationally. Very excited about that. Just so chuffed to be a part of it, you know. So, and also having an opportunity to read my poems again is really exciting. And um, and to have a writing practice and a, and a place to express that practice. There she is. All right, I'm going to put a little music on here. We're going to be right back. Choose poetry, choose life with your hosts, Aaron Gannon, Andy Talbot, and myself on Mutiny Radio. somewhere in some undisclosed location in Scotland. That's cool. <laughs> I'm gonna plug plug us in, in in just a minute. I was like, oh, new artwork behind you. Where's the cat? <laughs> nice. You're on vacation. That's exciting. You're on vacation. 
say this just because of the fact that there's radio involved welcome to choose poetry choose life um annie's gonna be a lot we are we are broadcasting from san francisco and i'm in air which is a town on the coast of the west coast of scotland and i don't know where andy is i think he has like a hockey class anyways so hello everybody go sharks we are doing uh, scratch poetry tonight, as well as open mic. Um, the scratch poetry will come later. It's with Beth Bat Brechniak. So I think that's how you say her last name. Um, it's Gaelic, so the pronunciations are always like hit or miss for me. Um, and so our person who is first on our list is not here. But also, as you all know, we have one rule. Don't be a dick. <laughs> so, um, in other words, no punching down. Don't be mean to people. Um, you can call out Papa Bush or Baby Bush if you want or whoever, but yeah, don't punch down. Um, and we are also pretty much have to be cool with swear words and sort of saucy talk because I don't think Pam and I are right. at the point in our life where we would be able to control ourselves anyways. <laughs> Saucy We're both talk. fucking menopausal, so uh, saucy talk like should be the name of your new band. Saucy, saucy, saucy talk. talk. Cute. <laughs> um, I heard a term the other day that apparently, um, in some circles, they're calling. There's like a certain group of people who don't believe that other people who are saying they're transgender are not, they believe that they're not. Mm. And they're calling them trans trenders. What? Which I thought would be an awesome name for a band. Wow. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, that's such a great name for a band. And especially if it were like, cause I guess they're saying that like non-binary people and like just queer folk and gender fluid people are like, and of course, I guess you're non-binary, you're not trans, but anyway, the trans trenders. So I think that's an awesome name for a band. Like, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Leslie. Oh, hey, Erin. Finally, I'm here. Yay. Um, so, yeah. So um, I'm going to bug Bart. Ah, la, la. You are scratching. I know he knows we're scratching tonight, but I'm just going to bug him. Um, okay, so the first person that was on our list is not here, so I believe that Christine goes next. Oh, hi. 
So are you ready to open the show, Christine? You do not have to if you don't want to. I understand it's a it's a pride of place. So. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll be very proud then. <laughs> this um, first one, I've just been writing today, so it's very very rough. I've never even read it to anybody yet, and um, I was thinking about women in different countries and I deliberately didn't name the regimes or the countries but we all know countries where women are treated as worthless and the poems about that called woman woman know your place rebellion's not allowed I'll sew your lips together or cut your tongue from out your face you'll obey me or I'll kill you you're easily replaced man you may kill me, hurt me, and otherwise abuse me, but I am a person, I know my worth. I have as much right as you to be on this earth. Woman, how dare you speak to me like that? You're worth less than a scraggy street cat. I'll do with you what I like, and that's a fact. Man, are you afraid of what we would do if we were allowed freedom like you? Is that at the bottom of your arrogance and vehemence? A scared little boy only able to destroy. Woman, this time for talking is done. I've got my whip out, so get ready to run. I don't care what you say. I'll take your screams instead and watch your blood drip as colour bright red. Man, in a sense, it doesn't matter what you do. Our time will come when we don't belong to you. <laughs> That's very rough. That's the first one. <laughs> Uh, this this next one uh, seems like I've got things against man, men tonight, but however, it's called it's about man spreading. We all know about man spreading, don't we? <laughs> man spreading and man's pride as he parades what it's best to hide. Legs akimbo like a male bimbo, hung to the left, hung to the right. When man spreading it, it's plainly in sight. It's enough to give a girl a fright when trousers are that tight. But for your girlfriend's sake, keep that one-eyed trouser snake hidden out the way instead of on display. So when you're on a train or a bus, there's no need to fuss. Just tuck your legs in tight and know it's only right. So we women can sit in peace, both bum cheeks tucked beneath, not hanging off the seat. And the, um, this next one is totally different. It's uh, one I read out last year, actually, uh, in Manchester, uh, when my daughter was in the audience and she was really embarrassed by it. <sighs> Your breath rolled the contours of my face. Its soft caress warmed me, aroused me as I lay my eyes resting on the movement of your lips, their fleshy plumpness tempted me, heated me, moved me. You stirred in your sleep as if aware of my gaze. You turned away and lay in flaunting abandon, your arm encircling your face, your profile etched in the morning light, fierce brows, the arch of your nose, your skin, warm to the touch, smooth as my fingers stroke the down on your cheek, your breath quickened, 
your body allows for the invitation to the hunger in my body as the sun shone through the curtains and our bodies became one. Yay, My daughter was saying to the audience, saying, that's not about me, Dad, it's not about me, Dad. <laughs> Wait a minute, why is it, I'm confused, why is it less embarrassing if it's not about her dad? I don't know. Well, I, okay. think, I, think, it's, I think it's just, you know, children never think of their parents doing that kind of thing, do they? Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> How about it's not about your dad, it's about your teacher? Oh, no. <laughs> Have you seen her teachers? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no. well, that's unfortunate. I actually did. I don't think I had a, I don't think I ever had really like a teacher that was crushable. Although I, there was a guy <laughs> in high school that all the, the other girls had a crush on, but, huh. but he was too like vanilla. For me, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> and not even my professors, they were all like old dudes. I mean, I loved them dearly, but it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Anyway, yes, they didn't hit the spot. Like, kind of so, 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 Aaron, for in order for your teacher to be crushable, they have to be like a vampire or something. <laughs> you know what? Like, it was, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of like what would be a good, he just was so. Like the one, I went to an all girls Catholic high school. So number one, most of the teachers were nuns, but there was one American history teacher. He was really a good guy, but he was like, like a very gentle, soft talking soul. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. and I was you know, obsessed with Brian Jones and on acid. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like okay, kids, here's your writing prompt for, for, for the next meeting. Come up with the, come up with the Aaron's perfect <laughs> lover. <laughs> teacher. teacher lover. <laughs> I don't, and no, I don't, I don't think there was anybody in college either. All the guys who were younger when I was an undergrad, the teach the professors that were younger when I was a teacher were gay. Uh -huh. There was one dude who was a poetry teacher and actually he's kind of famous. His, his name is Ralph Angel. I don't know, Pam, have you ever heard of Ralph Angel? Yeah, I don't know. He's like, he was like buddies with Linda Hull and David, is it Wojohoan? That Do you know who those people are? They're like, it's like a, so like a Southern California little clique, but he was a douche. Like he was like a, he was like predatory. So that didn't like, <laughs> that didn't work for me either. But um, That's yeah. why I'll never be able to be a college professor because I would have sex with all of my students. Like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> young, like 23 year old poets. Stop it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I would be, I'd be like, we have to wait till the end of the semester or how do we work this out? I'd be fired so quickly. It'd be, it'd be a huge, it'd be a huge scandal. <laughs> That's the reason I went to beauty. Like when the economy crashed, there was like, I was like cooking school, beauty school or motorcycle repair. And I was like, I can't go to the fucking motorcycle repair school. I'll screw all the teachers. There's <laughs> <laughs> no, not good. So that's why I didn't do that. Although I re retrospectively, I wasn't, I knew that the economy was going to collapse and I knew they were squeezing the middle class, but oh. I didn't, it didn't like, so that's what I wanted to do something that like rich people would always pay for. Do you know what I mean? Oh. Like, and so 
I thought hair, you know, rich women are always going to want to, I mean, really hairdressers are just ladies maids from pr the previous. Yeah. That, like, uh, I don't know, Aaron. I just, where... to, I just want to see you fixing motorcycles. Well, see, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, I not hair, hair and more motorcycles. <laughs> I probably should have done that because I didn't take into account like a plague. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to transfer the skill. <laughs> like cooking went down but people want their motorcycles repaired uh, or, you know yeah. everybody's riding their bikes everywhere so yeah, yeah. anyways you, probably you won't have to talk to people too much either right exactly yeah that you know, that's that's the important oh, thing God, in a career. The <laughs> yeah. when i do hair i like talk to the hair and i'd like and pam knows yeah. this like and i like make muppet voices like, why are you doing what are this piece of hair will not cooperate with me. It's really bad. Anyways, I'm sorry. Well, well, maybe you could kind of mix the two of them, you know, maybe start, you know, working in some Tem W30 when you're like combing it out and stuff. Yeah. When I, when this all was going on, this was in the like 2010 or something that I was in beauty school, 2011, people did suggest that I should be the first person to open up a motorcycle repair and beauty salon. Oh. Yeah. Which would have been, I mean, there are a lot of women who ride in San Francisco, so it's not actually, it wasn't that out of, yeah, um, that's, yeah. A, that's a thought. <laughs> um, and actually, you know what, the, since those, um, the barber shops have taken off again, right? Like we're all like the hipster barber shops, like you could combine those two things with the motorcycle repair as well. So, um, but I think to Jeff, did I say that, um, did I say you should go next? I believe I did. I got distracted by talking so much about beauty. I, I didn't hear that, but I will accept it. Okay, cool. <laughs> and in fact, I'll, I'll give to you a motorcycle poem, which I grabbed while you were chatting. I wrote this for a friend of mine who passed away. He was a fellow uh, dad at the school where my kids went. Okay. Uh, so this is called Brett the Bike. I've never owned a motorbike, but if I did, it would be Brett. I'd grasp the handlebars the way I used to grasp Brett's hands, and I'd drive down the streets of town in shiny joy so everyone could see my smile. I'd feel safe riding with the friendly power, and I'd park it proudly next to my heart where we could both sleep till our next roar of morning. Wow. Now, a couple of music poems, and Brett loved music, so this is appropriate to his memory, too. The first one um, was written for a Brazilian musician I know and in her voice. It's called Celia. I feel very connected with you as I am writing this, but also reading this for the first time, just like you. And you, will you be cared for, Ayaya, as I was as a little girl in Rio, where my crazy flower of a mama left my father, the man in the television, left him helpless to put order in our hearts? Are you holding my hand? How do you feel when you read how much I care about your caring about me? Yaya was from Bahia, the warm womb of Brazil, and she came with Candomblé, the river on which the African saints had sailed westward 
in slave ships in dark days, Yaya cooked us cozido and pirao and delighted with us in our girlish dancing. Luis Gonzaga Malheros, my esteemed father, could never be a mama. So he sat himself at a worn wooden desk to prove the inexistence of God. Maria G. Gloria, my mom, in her separate sticky room in Copacabana, missing the mother of the mothering of me, did auditions for death. Neither Luis nor Maria succeeded. And in between them, I began to hear the music, the breath of the waves, the clamoring coro of the sidewalks, and my way started to compose itself. I bloomed and learned to be plucked and tested my browned and blonded body by quickening its head with smoke and colors. Sometimes I saw what mommy saw and was glad and sad to see it. Daddy sent me away to the Disneyland of the North where I learned to order greasy food with hard consonants. But I remembered to sing and I found America yearning towards my diphthongs, seeking my saltwater musical memories, wanting curing from my dear dead Yaya. Are you listening now as I sing Shoro and Bossa? Have you married me and made a mother of me? And now, are we world enough? Thank oh, you. Wow. And now, now a poem from rock and roll. Uh, some of you may, well, actually plenty of you may know this, even though uh, uh, some of you are a little younger than I am. This is dedicated to Glenn Fry, the singer from the Eagles, mm -hmm. and was written right after he passed away in 2016. Well, I'm standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford slowing down. Slowing down, angel tits. Slowing down to pick up Glenn Fry, that guy from the Eagles, taking the early ride, the early flight south to death. Swing low, sweet flatbed Ford, early to death and early to rise, makes a man legend, not always wise, makes a man gone, makes me feed the jukebox of the portals over forever nightcaps, forever. Next morning makes me wake up diversify too early. Slowing down forever to take a look at me, young and firm and friendly, to take a look at her, take a look at Linda, Winslowing South on Route 17 and 10 to Tucson, to take a look at Linda Ronstadt, young and ripe and hanging on a gear shift. Hitching a ride on Linda's flatbed wooden stage way out west to the Whiskey A Go Go on the Sunset Strip, full of LA girls and halter tops, full of all kinds of fun, legals and illegals for guys becoming eagles, full of guitars to grab, drums to pound, keyboards to twaddle, full of the glad sounds of being sung through Linda's succulent girl mouth, her chocolate eyes showing us what we can do and should do to try and pull the reins in. Ride them, cowgirl, 
in tight jeans. After the set, we unplugged, went out back, and got older. We got sold, we bought, we broke up bands and marriages, we lost our hearing, or, or was it just the good music we lost? And here we are with Glenn, faded further than our jeans, on our last aching legs, long hair, grayed and thinned, wheezing in the dust of Winslow, Arizona. Interstate 40 is the new Route 66. Glenn was 67. He wasn't new. But what a fine sight to see, a final sight, a girl, my lord, with angelic horde, slowing down to get old Glenn, dust him off, and carry him to where the songs are free and forever. She ain't singing, that girl, but she sure looks like Linda. When will she be back for the rest of us? Thank you all. Oh my God, that's so my wheelhouse. Wait, I have to show you guys something. This is literally me on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. <laughs> like I, this woman came up, she liked oh, me. Aaron. She loved that photo. And the caption for this photo is such a fine sight to see. Oh my God, Erin, I can't believe it. Total synchronicity, huh? That's wow, huh? <laughs> I am such a huge Linda Ronstadt fan. And like literally like four hours ago, I was trying to explain to my boyfriend, I went to see, there's a Graham Parsons tribute in at Universal Studios back in like 2003. And he didn't know who Graham Parsons was. So I had to explain like, the birds and how they and Buffalo Springfield and how they split and then the flying burrito brothers and how like the eagles were like the flying ah. burrito brothers light and like uh, like and he was just sitting there like uh, okay really <laughs> because he wanted to know why Keith Richards was like singing love hurts with Nora Jones and, like, anyways whatever but yeah like I was seriously I was like gonna have a picture of myself taken on the on the corner oh, that's and, and the um the long form or the sort of mini epic poem that I wrote uh, is about my cross country road trip, which that picture was taken on, is I mentioned Highway 40, quite Interstate 40, quite a bit in that in that in in the poem. Anyway, that it's like something that AJ and I do. But anyways, oh my God, oh, motorcycles, Linda Ronstadt, how awesome! Um, great, great minds ride alike. I just uh, yeah. or, or ride alike. I realized at some point when I was in my country band, like I was trying to figure out how to find like a non-blues voice because I had like sang Janis Joplin like so much and Bessie Smith. But when I was really little, I was into Olivia Newton-John and I realized that in between, in between Janis Joplin and Olivia Newton-John is Linda Ronstadt. And so that was sort of how I kind of like tried, like found my country music singing voice. It was just like kind of dealing with Linda Ronstadt. Um, awesome. Uh, Leslie, are you ready to go? I could. I'm just like uh, flying by the seat of my pants as usual tonight. So, hey, that's sort of how <laughs> Anyhow. Hey, so Linda Rodstedt started out in Stone Ponies, yeah? Yeah, she did. You and I marching to uh, the different drums. 
Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> hey, I saw her. Uh, she was the opener in 1970. Uh, solo. She was solo then. I think it was one of her you know, almost new, like, uh, so, solo uh, tours. She was opening for Neil Young, who just went solo. Right. And that was his first, so it was so cool. Oh, my God, that's crazy. I know. It was, like, her and then Neil Young. It was really cool. Anyhow, thank like, you for taking and me I, back. I mean, people, I, you know, you can watch YouTube videos of Linda, and there is, like, that really awesome rendition of her doing Desperado. I don't know, if, Jeff, if you've seen that, but, like, do check out Lyndon live doing Desperado. It'll give you freaking chills. It's so good. And that song is kind of stupid. Like real, I mean, really it is like, but, but when, a, when, when Linda does it and from a woman's voice, like it's just, it's like, it's a genius song. They never should have covered it. But um, there's a big thing on the Rolling Stones internet message board community where we make fun of the Eagles just to wind up people who like the Eagles. But anyways, um, Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, it's okay. It's just just one more thing about her. She released an album of a few years after that called Songs of My Father. Mm -hmm. And she's, you know, she's Mexican heritage. Yeah. So mm -hmm. she is just what pipe she has. And she is just wailing out those traditional songs. Wow. Yeah, Emmy Lou Harris said she had the most beautiful voice in like the history of the 20th century. Yeah, no, she really did. Anyhow, thank you. I, I needed to think about her. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did too. All right, so I'm just going to do a smattering um, potpourri. Uh, this one's called Seated Earth Winter Solstice. I seated earth and skipped the change, which would happen, inevitable, to have this seed grow without me seeing it, watching each moment the steps of new life. I seated earth with my blood and heartache and wept for love of it. The change I do not understand, for it is not mine to know. I know that the birds will fly above the seed as it grows into what it will, that above the birds circling this carousel of life, then the clouds float slow as they will, and above them the sun at times visible this time of year, the unrelenting gray only a soft blanket of thought on which to ruminate and plant its seed in me. Then the next one is called This Surface Life. I need a Band-Aid for my wound, which is not visible, but is there nonetheless the wound of a life well lived. I put it on this Band-Aid on the surface of my skin and know that its healing will leach down, reach down into me, and it will be so better, this wound. The warmth of protection from the Band-Aid, the self-love I send with it, traveling down far and deep to penetrate these pockets of want, these pockets of hurt and ire, of desire unmet, this harm that comes to us all at times from the life lived on the surface of the skin, this edge, our ledge from which we're about to fall, the surface of earth from where we come and where we now are, us who are those who breathe air on the surface and sometimes suffer, we who are exposed to the changes hourly at times, the rapid changes, the elements, the whim, whims of the forces at play, those wicked winds that move us, the savage droughts and we thirst, the fire of our souls, the floods of too much, 
of surface life, the overfull clouds which unleash onto us and seep down these rains as tears into our bodies, as tears ravaging us as surely as they do the earth, this mother, our skin, this surface life. I need a drink, a cup of tea made hot by water, hot on the hard boil, this blood boiling, the anger rising hot like sun flares to meet me, dangerous the sun is, and repel, repel, repel that which overcome me, which would overcome me. I will not yet be overcome. I want to stay and be old, very old, so old that I know what the very old ones know finally before I sleep. I send a prayer down into the earth, a small thought of protection and love, like the band-aid which sends its message down through the layers to the center, to the heart of me, to the heart of earth, a small message that's strong in its love, strong from the heart to the heart. It will heal this surface life. It will heal us. It will heal itself to do no harm to that which is below. And just a few more quick ones. What's the time like with all this? <laughs> that was so Gertrude Steinian. That seemed like it was like, well, that was really neat. Oh, cool. cool. We're the time. We can be loose today. Um, all right. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's not like we're not loose anyways. Yeah. Okay. So this one's called the, the isness of the thing. After Heidegger, I always loved his philosophy. <laughs> it was real gonzo and just, just up my alley. So uh, he actually said that. <laughs> it's the isness of the thing, you know, anyhow. <laughs> How someone is is just that, not for you, not for me, or necessarily for themselves. Self being fluid, changeable yet constant and invariably mysterious. There is a thread of light sense that connects us, connects him, connects her to you or me, but only that and only sometimes and it is then. We dangle at times from this thread, unaware of how far we are from others, from ourselves, from that which we know is life. We are sometimes irrevocably elsewhere and some of us stay there for times just out there and dangling, no reason, no sense or purpose with no real error in our ways or flaws. If anyone is counting or paying attention, just hanging there as marionettes in the large scheme, just waiting for the next breath coming from the ineffable to move us on our way. And uh, I'll finish with one that's uh, new shit. <laughs> So this one, uh, this one's called the, the wind is a prayer. The sun is a prayer as it comes through the morning windows in my room, touches the tablecloth on top of the table, the flowers there in their vases, the table awaits me to sit and with thought in thought create words, the miracle of thought into action taken up by my hand the pen to write the words before me that formed in my mind, the words that are symbols of all that we know, yet going back in time, the words that formed on the lips of the old ones, the beloveds, and going back further to their beloveds. It is the wind, a prayer, as it touches me as I walk. 
walks with me, against me sometimes and pushes, pushes me to go places I hadn't thought of going. Maybe I didn't want to go, but the wind, a stubborn companion, will ask me to go where I wouldn't, where I maybe fear, where I need to go to see more and know more of this world. And this, my world, the water is a prayer as I look at it, as I watch it, as it touches me. If I place myself in it, the water moving is a prayer that courses its way by, that touches us, that gives us so much. We travel on, we play in that which connects us, all parts of the world traveling through the land to the sea. We know where it goes. It goes to source, sourced, source. It is life. The earth is a prayer that we walk on in which we plant our seeds, the food that gives to us that in the end takes us into it and we sleep. So that's it. I feel like you've tied together Christine's like opening salvos of like women's <laughs> rights plus the music stuff. Like, so, cause I was like, we went from Christine's like woman power and then like there was rock and roll, but now we've got, we've, we've come motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> we've come together. Um, but I picked one that I think does, that touches on both as well. I picked a couple anyways. Um, John, are you ready to go? Or would you like Pam and I? To I am ready to go. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, for the, this is a story called Disaster, My Love. Uh, obviously, I cribbed the title a little bit from a famous movie. Uh, but for the UK residents, when an airplane crashes in America, the National Transportation Safety Board does the investigation of what happened in the crash while the Federal Aviation Administration are the ones who have the responsibility for, you know, making whatever corrective action is needed, needed you know, banning the plane or some such thing like that. Oh, so anyway, here's the, here's the story. The smoldering remains of Heartland Airways Flight 869 littered Clyde Parish's cornfield. Twisted aluminum blackened sections of fuselage and the remains of two jet engines had scattered over acres. Pictures of charred skulls, bits of floating rib and a thigh bone with meat attached would never make it onto the six o'clock news. 30 minutes after takeoff, the Boeing 737 had plummeted from 20,000 feet and had plowed into the rich Indiana soil at over 500 miles per hour. The impact had sheared off the wings and ignited 5,000 gallons of jet fuel that had consumed all 63 on board. Three years ago, before he'd seen the high school football player's corpse in a red letter jacket with white vinyl sleeves on a snowy Pennsylvania hillside, Jack McNally would have walked among the debris to question the National Transportation Safety Board and investigators combing the wreckage. He'd seen dead bodies before, but the corpse's flat questioning stare had troubled him for months afterward. Today, Jack stood at the road's edge and looked 
at one of the airplane's wheels. Its tire was still inflated. He wondered how it had come out of the fireball intact. Strange things happen when a plane crashes. At times, something fragile survives, like the music box he'd found when that Airbus went down in the Everglades. Jack had broken FAA rules by taking it home from the crash site. He'd given it to his daughter, Katie, as a good luck charm. The stench of kerosene, burning insulation, and incinerated flesh recalled other crashes. He'd always associate those smells with a late-night phone call and leaving the comfort of Judith's warm body for a red-eye flight to the latest tragedy. Jack slapped at a mosquito whining in his ear. He had to call Commissioner Nakamura at 10 with a status report. Jack looked up the road past the cluster of firemen in dirty yellow slickers to where a garden of microwave dishes sprouted from retractable antennas on the backs of news vans. Grant Kessler, the NTSB lead, stood with his hands in his pockets and yammered to some red-haired airhead in a short skirt who held the microphone to his face. He sure does go after the publicity, doesn't he? It should be you up there, Grace. You always work twice as hard as he did. Jack turned to the woman whose blonde hair hung in a thick plate over her navy blue nylon jacket. Sorry, I didn't see you. How you been? Good. The doctors say I'm doing well. How are Judith and Katie? Katie is looking forward to starting NYU in the fall. Jack glanced at his watch. Listen, I've got to call Nakamura in a half hour. You have anything? Voice recorder was damaged in the crash. We still might get something from the tape fragments, but it'll take some time. Haven't found the black box. I'd say it'll take a few days before I know anything. Any guesses? Why, Grace crossed her arms. What's Nakamura saying? The usual. He's reluctant to ground the fleet, but doesn't want to look like he's putting the public at risk either. Don't worry about it. I'll tell him you don't know yet and let him figure out what to do. Grace straddled his torso and thrust her hips back and forth as if the force would chase away the day's memories. The motel bed springs squeaked to the rhythm of her forceful motions. Instinctively, Jack reached to cup her breasts when his right hand brushed the thickened skin of her scar. He hesitated. She placed her warm hand over his and held it to her soft, injured flesh. The tickle in Jack's groin grew into a shudder of release. Grace arched her back, her lip formed the name Jack without making a sound. She leaned forward to press her chest against his and touched her lips to his temple. After a few minutes, she got up and padded to the bathroom. Jack pulled the thin blanket to his chin and looked at the glowing blue numerals on the alarm clock. He and Grace would have to be back at the crash site in three hours. He thought of returning to his room, but knew he'd never sleep. The toilet flushed. Grace opened the bathroom door, throwing a wedge of light on the darkened room's carpet. She turned off the switch, returned to bed, and stretched out beside him. Jack held her like a life raft and fell asleep, stroking her familiar curves. The alarm's buzz woke him at 4.45. Guess I'd better get back to my room before our colleagues start roaming the halls. Jack stepped into his pants. The plastic wand attached to the room key stuck out of his front pocket. Grace walked him to the entryway. See you in an hour. She kissed him, 
and softly closed the door. Jack stood for a moment and stared at the number on the door. Then he turned and walked down the blue carpeted hall to the stairwell. An hour later, eyes gritty from lack of sleep, Jack caught a ride to the crash site with one of the NTSB workers. The reporters had already moved on to the next headline. Only investigators and a few state policemen in wide-brimmed hats remained. Jack spent the morning watching workers lay down a grid using GPS receivers and cataloging debris before hauling it away. By noon, he knew for certain he could contribute nothing. The investigation would plod at its methodical pace despite FAA's desire for answers. He called Commissioner Nakamura. Get some photos of the starboard engine before we load it on the truck, Grace said. She turned from the pale, skinny woman scribbling on her notepad and looked up when Jack approached. Looks like you've got everything under control, Jack said. I talked to Nakamura. He's made his decision. What's he going to do? He's grounded the Heartland 737s, but he's letting the others keep flying. That's a no-brainer. Grace slipped the pen into her blouse pocket. Heartland has the worst maintenance record in the industry. When do you fly out? I'm on the next commuter to Indianapolis. I'll give you a ride to the airport. She led him to the rented tan Mercury Grand Marquis, slid behind the wheel and reached across the seat to open the passenger door. Jack climbed in. Grace maneuvered the big boat-like car along the razor-straight country roads cut between the tall green corn stalks. Her canvas purse sat on the seat between them like an uneasy silence. To Jack, Grace looked self-contained as if she only had to wait for everything she wanted to come to her. Jack kept his mouth shut. Any words he could say would only garble his complex feelings. He only nodded when Grace asked if he needed to return to the Best Western for his bag. It took 20 minutes to get to the airport. They sat together on hard orange fiberglass chairs in the waiting room. You ever think of giving this up, he asked. Maybe get a jog with McDonnell Douglas or one of the airlines. You wouldn't be happy. Grace touched his forearm. We're different than them, Jack. For us, there's no going back. The roar of the Beach 1900s twin turboprop engines caused him to look out the window. The commuter plane parked at a yellow line on the pavement and killed its engines. The propellers slowed to a strobe-like speed and stopped. A man in hearing protectors and gray overalls opened the plane's door and pointed the passengers toward the terminal. You better go. Grace dropped her hand from his arm. Jack knew a thousand ways for an airplane to fall from the sky, yet he trusted the pilots and mechanics to get him home to his marriage and the pretense of security. Before he took the stairs to the runway, Jack turned to see Grace's steady stillness in a swirl of arriving passengers. He wiped his eyes on his sleeve and waved. Sometime soon, they'd meet again. Wow. That was remarkable. Yeah. That was crazy. Uh, that, that's actually a story. It's in my one of my short story collections, The Alchemist's Grandson Changes His Name. And I'll post a link in the chat if anybody's interested. I know, do. Before, before the uh, somewhat defeatist 
<laughs> readings of the host. I just want to ask Flavius if if uh, you want to read anything. <laughs> or are you just here to spectate, which is totally fine. <laughs> oh, thing is, I don't have really, I don't have anything here because I've been stressed out looking for a job and finishing my master's. Oh, wow. I, I could read some old shit if you want. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to read some old shit too that may not have been heard here. I don't know if I read this before. It's just some really immature shit I wrote in the past. <laughs> it's up to you. Do you want me to go first and you can think about it? Whatever you wish. I'll go first so you can think about it. How's that? Oh. Okay. Um, and decide what you want to do. Um, okay, so this one is about the first time I did ecstasy. Okay. Oh, wait. Here we go. Just to let somebody in. Uh, Taco Joe's in Brixton. Everybody had both feet on the floor, but the floor moved them. All tapes that fall off a speaker, everybody fell on their feet, and they had to stomp to maintain, stomp and grind to maintain. The swish and swirl, the tinfoil sword swipes of the synthesizer in the music rattling the walls of Taco Joe's in Brixton. In Taco Joe's in Brixton, each dance can go deeper below the bass drum, but your breath has to be like the beat through the nose. Below the bass drum, there is an idea of fire in a black desert or a clear pond in a cave. The silent space between heartbeats. Everything comes from here. The ceiling in Taco Joe's had stucco crumbs that danced. Marianne was looking at it. She had one hot pair of leather pants and an exquisitely long can of beer held swaying at arm's length. The waves began at her hips. She used them to stir the air, a ripple moving up with a leg brought to the waist for a spin. When Marianne lifted her hands up and spread her fingers, beams of clear liquid streamed out of each one. She had gas pump fingers. She looked up and realized that she had moved everything. The smile cracked the static. A man's elbow slipped off the bar, spilling his cocktail and the woman he was impressing did not look at him again. The lighter poised at the chamber of a bong in the white bright bathroom stall ran out. No one could have done anything to prevent or contain it, but everyone pronounced her lovely and decided not to bother her dancing. Wow. I thought it would do a bit of a sad thing a little bit, but I don't think I've done it, done it here before. Uh, it's about my friend Riley who um, died of sort of like HIV complicated kid prostate cancer in 2014. Family scrapbook, taking care of business. Riley said they'd made a halo for me out of empty cans of beer, it hung from the ceiling in the breakfast nook where we did our hardest working. We were up every morning earning money to pay for the appropriate glasses, each designed for any type of cocktail our imaginations could command. Snifters, rocks, martinis, ice jangled, all other sounds solidly mannish. Then there was the chopping, 
We call the DJ ones on KFOG, the sounds of San Francisco. He asked quite seriously if we'd run out of Colombian marching powder on the air. Riley answered in the affirmative and with obviously a snort. We made night moves and we were American fools. We worked there, El Sirioso-like, building our stamina. Like so many other bug chasers, we chased oblivion. Our work was laden with icy cackling and coughing full of tar and gravel. The sidewalks came alive when we sang in our mouths, full of open sores and jangling loose change. It was all off key, but part of the job was to do it with maximum feeling. After we'd settled down, groovy, in our comfortable routine, even our dry heaving accented with its well-worn score, I'd try on the halo, which was more like a crown. Every night those days, we'd put our mouths on the rocks, and when the sun came up, our mouths were hot. We crawled under blankets, under lamely drawn drapes. Riley was dying, and no work was going to set any of us free, and we knew it, and it fucking sucked, man. <laughs> and then the last one um i'm just gonna touch on music it's called wild list and motorcycles it's called while listening to steve earl <clears throat> kick the clutch into second and yawn early morning thrills follow the gentle slope throttle down upper newtonards have you taken the right fork in the road? Try to go home. Try not to get lost in the toy store cathedral quarter, zipping the wrong way down one-way streets, the grand buildings with their warehouse interiors polished, then brushed for faux wear and tear. We are authentically inauthentic. We've reached that level of meta. Belfast is no tabula rasa. It starts on the eighth floor, so why not? Anyways, for now, Belfast looks like a bowl serving good sky. Not, no fog today, no guarded buzzing sun. This is proper wizened old man clouding. Keep your eyes on the road, girl. It's not full of kindly ex-lovers, benevolent and indulging. It only takes one jerk off to take you down or worse over. Weren't you happy mere seconds ago? Weren't you living for what seemed like the first time since San Francisco? Didn't it feel like the road and its rush hour were so smooth, so all part of the plan? Dress blues over Cave Hill, swollen with future rains. Feeling home on this planet under the sun seems so easy when it puddles in your chest, like an internal gunshot wound, the blood so cool. There's fuck all to do, but keep keep both wheels on the road and let it in. Yay! <laughs> Duff, I have to submit places. I'm very bad about submitting lately. Anyways. <laughs> um, okay, Flavius, have you made a decision, darling? Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Look, I would if you let me share my screen so you can see the walls in the screen. Would you? I'm talking to you and I didn't unmute myself because that's <laughs> the way I freaking roll every time. Okay, I'm making you a co host. There we go. Has it registered yet? 
Is it visible? Yes. The stringless kite. Yeah, it's alright. These are some very old poems, so they are quite immature. There's a lot of focus on rhyme, and the metaphors, analogies, and similes are quite convoluted, so it's hard to discern my feelings in the poem. But it, it just is what it is. It's what I felt in the moment. Stringless kites. They say that the devil is in the details, but the devil is on my tail. Swinging along the gale, shouting in silence, while fighting against signs. The winds feel like riots, they cannot be quiet. Each gust is a Zephyr pilot, aviating upon the air private, as a Mistral is a frigate, tempting the south and north as to legate, while shifting the indomitable climate. I feel the breath of the wild beneath my mind, motivating me to become a pirate and plunder the emotions of the sky, while the stars gyrate at the tandem within the cosmos, and the singularities draw close. I furrow, sail, and plow the welkin, while crying all the feelings I held in, whenever I try to blend in into this preposterous society that always treated me like a belkin. Yet now I'm traveling through the azure, like a wandering albatross shaped like Asher. I'm shining in the sky even more than the sun, because mm. my only propellant is love. Because let's cut the fuss and hit the sky with the brush, hush, just paint upon the starry canvas until you become an empty carcass. Build the clouds with stanzas. Ragi favors the mightiest of madness bandits by letting them practice on the Empyrean campus. Write everything and anything. Probably nobody will understand this. The muses demand this. Keep your trap shut and hold your tongue. Quit the rumpus. Venture forth, this is a journey with no compass. As the dawn breaks into the night, with the first glimpse of light, and the stars vanish in our sight, and we witness the sky turn white, I let my fingers rise, while my eyes, the souls in this night, letting myself with mice. To fly away to world with no fright and sail the skies like a stringless kite. That's kind of it for the first one. There's much more silly rhymes. Yeah. Emotions okay. hug me when they stab me. I'm a seeking, seeking, sick in. I'm a pirate painting a canvas with my cutters. Soap and sick ink, this artwork is sinking. The muses have forgotten me. Muses, I implore, give me an inkling. Nime is full of dragons, but I feel like Siegfried. Dreams full of crackings, I'm getting right into the strife, but I do not want to be grieved. Oceans insult me, clouds occult me. I am a lyrical beast. I pray and feast from any kind of false priest. I was in chains, but I've been re unleashed. 
my inner darkness is being released. The light of my soul, RIP, it has deceased. I am an anarchist, but Roman rulers fascinate me. I want you to be like Caesar, assassinate me. And sink my skin into depression like Caligula. I, lay, I let the Colosseum burn to ashes while I play the harp like Nero. Angel of death, my wings are black like a millennials. When I die, you should take my bones and build infinite ziggurats. The mystery of my history is how I wrote victory. I renovated my lyrical artillery. No more hollow bullets, just pure lexical cannonballs that act in complete synergy with my vocabulary and mind full of energy. Feel my energy and overload with my love because any poem could be my last liturgy. Depression is like an endless abyss. Now I'm finally grasping bliss. This is the day I dismissed the sad hiss that assails me from the deepest side of my brain. That's why I'm writing my own tales about fantasy waves riding the ocean's waves. As happiness prevails and contaminates my veins, as joy heals my brain stains and my mind pains, as bliss terminates all of my sorrowful complaints, as my heart triggers the disdain hidden into my emotional brains. Open your psyche and through it, protrude your eyes, witness me arise, violating the poetry canvas with my dyes. I am a satanic blue whale, for Kronos I sail, for Gaia I protect, the earth I will not neglect. While my, while my energy attempt to project, I control the rainbows, like Nogmukulwane Zulu, colors convulse when I scream, the world shakes when I dream, I am the fool. And there goes the second one. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just keep going if it's not a problem. Golden rivers, poetry, this is Lucy, this music. I witness rhythm as a felony and I am the culprit. I break the laws of poetics. I am an anarchist. I don't even abide by the law of gravity. I levitate through the pages, flutter through the verses. I am a butterfly flying through stages, an actress in the play of life, wearing no disguise. But the sword is ready for the strife. Shakespeare eternally cries, for I have betrayed his eyes. The rhymes coagulated the mind. We step into the chamber, walk through the gates of amber, against the time. Hyperbolic lines that define the laws of time, lacerate the paper with balls of rhymes, shifting like the climate. Hurricanes breathing through my eyelids. The mouth is silent. The heart beats and speaks with the power of the voice. It sneaks, techniques through the listener's butt cheeks. The awakening of forms at the hands of the poetess, and the poet is vivid and you know it. There are feelings within feelings, living in the moment. These verses are the fruits of enjoyment. Never have I ever been the closest to breaking apart the closet. To let my identity become noticed. 
to enjoy the liberty offered by the fiber trees that lets me be free to see the seas breathe like the sea I grasp, I grip, grasp and sip with my lips. This lyrics my heart I open in the warmth of the wrath of my blood erupts liquid love that's gold. Wow. And and this is the last one, I promise. Back on soul. It is unfortunate to breathe when the air is foul, to sweat after you have already thrown it in the towel. To have your mind prowled by shadows, wearing a bloody and rugged cowl, beneath which semblances of bones and darkness hide and gaze into your soul like an owl. This unfortunate when the brain is the graveyard of the parliament of fowls, skeletal birds whose beaks and crania resemble one's own marked and exposed jowls. They stand upon branches of neurons and instead of chirping, they potently howl. They seem to be winged wolves, angered, scowled, aving, canine faces, the bark and growl. Misko is the palace of remorse, the self-destructive thoughts accommodated in the chambers, displaced all and each of the loose, minuscule native sentiments of joy and turned them into strangers, inoculated my brain's veins with the malicious vices of misery vapors. Who's going to breathe my words if nobody remembers? My eyes are the basins of sorrow. I mourn my spirit's disease and fill the pools with droplets each of which contains within a universe filled with the tiny bolts of spotless rocks that fall to my sockets. Do not worry, for I have gathered them. They are now safe and sound in my pockets. They are the stones on my heart, the pain in my heart, the asthmatic gills of a carp, my baggage. It is Unfortunate to water the seeds of happiness and watch them grow and bloom. And suddenly, suddenly, in the very last moments of growth, they turn into flowers of bloom. We watch in silence through our inner garden, filled with despondence, dependence, and doom. It haunts you while awake and dream or narrow in the gap between you and your tomb. It's unfortunate to feel the darkness enthralling your heart. Ever since leaving the womb, to contemplate the reaper in the eyes and fall to your knees to beg for its perfume, to sleep within four walls that you call prison, or orders call it your room. We yearn for the hearth, the embers that do not one wishes to illumine. There is no solace for the phantom in the mirror, the pearl is shaved. Is safe in its shell, but enslaved by the current, following the waves towards its impending fall. The cataract is strong, and the cragged rocks, the key to the lock, conch, thin besides the bagman's soul. Oh. All right. There you go. Flavius, you're so ballsy for sharing all that with us. You <laughs> know who's ballsy? Ballsy. Aww. I love it. Oh my god, no fucking way. Oh. Okay. oh my god. Motherfucker's got new kittens in the house. 
Uh, okay, so. Oh, that's the big mama. Oh, that's oh. the big mama. I love how they match the decor of like you and your like the, the like everything's white on palette. <laughs> oh, that's that's nature for you. <laughs> okay, so we we have to take a break. We'll take a ten minute break, and then what will happen is we're gonna do um, Willie and Marjorie and Francis and Pam. And then we'll start scratching at bar. Maybe the cats want to join in on that too, huh? How, <laughs> how long are the, I don't know if we're going to have time because if we're okay. done by two and we want to at least leave half an hour for, for the scratch, Art. right? So then yes. timing back, if we take a 10 minute break, we have 10 minutes to get four people in. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah, you're right. so I, I mean, I don't have to read. That's fine. Um, but then that means I, there's three people in 10 minutes. So that's I kind of a squeeze. I, I, only, I only have one poem that I can do like a very quick scratch. Yeah. We still want to give you your time though. Yeah, exactly. Like, though. It'll, and it'll take a half hour because everyone will want to talk. So I'm right. just, but yeah, totally. I, but if there's only let's 10 minutes, do I don't have to. Minutes. Okay. Uh, well, let's just do a five minute break so I can pee. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Five minutes. We'll be back here on MutinyRadio.fm and .sf. We'll, I'll unplug us so that you can talk about whatever you want, and I'll bring up a little bit of music. Thanks for listening to Mutiny Radio.
10 minutes they're ahead of us john yeah they're ahead. Yeah. the other way and, oh, and the, really? yeah. yeah in the uk we're uh one hour ahead of gmt we're on so. bst and so okay the way we, <laughs> what time is it there now that's a, how about asking it that way 9 15 and it's 10 15 here Ah, uh, okay. All right. Okay, that explains it. Okay, we got. I got it backwards. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, well, it's okay. My day's been like. <laughs> so. Are you feeling a little better? I gotta look at a map here. <laughs> yeah, a little better. Yeah, I'm. I'm working through it. I will. Um, I wasn't so polite to people, but they were not polite to me or professional or. No, oh, what a drag. And um, weird. Are you I'm tired of incompetence. What can I say? I don't usually like talking like that, but I'm just so tired of it. Yeah, you don't want to. And I spent the whole morning with Apple support trying to get. Oh, that's not going to help. They yeah. did help, but getting out yeah. of Spain to get a native English speaker because oh. I understand Spanish fine, but I don't understand technology and I think yeah. better yeah. in English. Yeah. And I do, but anyway, but so it actually resolved a lot of my problems. Right. <laughs> in the end, I got a David from, I don't know if he was in England, in London or where he was, but someplace in the British Isles. A lot, a lot of tech supports in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, I've had good luck when I get to finally get to someone in Portugal, but a native English speaker in Portugal, Greece. Scotland, Ireland, and London. All of those have been good. And if I get them in Spain, they lie to me and they tell me that they're, they don't answer if I say, are you a native speaker? And then they don't answer me if I say, are you a senior technician, et cetera. Right. Surprisingly, I've had good luck with the tech support from India. Oh, it doesn't surprise me. Although right now it would probably be really hard. For yeah, right now it'd be tough. But I mean, kind of in the past, you know, the, the, those guys have been oh. really sharp with computer stuff. And yeah, that that wouldn't. But I, I usually they don't. I've never been connected with India. Yeah. Oh, well, from the states, you get you get them a lot. So it's 
And we're back. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're back. Well, Marjorie, are you ready to go? Do you want to read? I'll read you one about time. How about that? <laughs> it just seems like it goes with. Um, these are, they, I have about eight of these notebooks of cutouts of things I'm working on. So it, it's getting close to finished, but it's not finished. And just reading it and sharing and having the interaction with you all is good for my brain getting more motivated. So um, time after time. Yesterday when he left, he said, I'll be very early tomorrow. Today came and I waited and waited and still waited some more. When he finally came, it was 1300. That's 1 p.m. I said, me has tenido esperando all morning. You've kept me waiting all morning. Today, when he left, I asked, when should I expect you tomorrow? He said, I won't tell you so I don't keep you waiting. But it will be in the morning. The next day came, he showed up at 1600. That's 4 p.m. And that's also strange. I, I don't know if you all followed <laughs> well, what happened or not. He said he was coming in the morning. <laughs> that was random. <laughs> was that it? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought there was like there were going to be installments. Um, okay. Well, I don't. I usually leave that for the reader to do whatever they want to do with it. I, um, I when I started writing, my intent was not to make judgments. But oh, actually, by putting things down on paper, you make a judgment to begin with. So yeah. I guess I do. True yeah. enough. <laughs> um, all right. So, Willie, you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, Take it yeah. away. First poem here, uh, Fight. Fight. Last night there was a fight. Things said, just not right. How I got there, just don't know. Verbal lashing very bad. Things like that can drive us mad. Tit for tat like a bat. It bounces back and back again. Put my hands up to my head. Not just one way the verbal goes. Some resort to blows. Life managed to such an extent. Sit trembling in the night. What can be done through closed doors? Thank you. Sisters and brothers. Sisters and brothers are so unlike lovers, unless it's the incestuous kind. The human condition is in no position to determine which way you sway. Sometimes you're out, sing and shout. Sometimes you hide away. Close, just wait, can determine your fate. Cross, you have to bear. Now boys will be boys, girls will be girls, in a multitude of different styles. It's humanity's way, I just want to say, make the best of all your decisions. Morality, morality. Is it your turn to judge? Whose turn to judge? Is it you? Who? Me? Think for a bit. Next time, who will be hit? Is it all right to sit? I want to be good, but if it's a matter of food, 
war, it's no good. Still sit and think when lives on the brink. Can you stand up or think the anonymous way? I, you, me, and William. I, you, me, and William. Love of poetry we meet. Late for performance, take a seat. Here last applause, I missed the night. Friends asked me to recite a curious huddle of heads. The uncle of Europe invites us in, drink dark from the Emerald Isle. So different our past, don't know where to start. A spirit inside, a lust for life, talking into the night, my friends, Ayumi and William, and I'll do one more uh, and I'll do it. Truth decay, truth decay. Can you hear it now, straight from their mouths? You can't say that, it's not true. Who said so? Said who? Now what can you do? Maybe it's true. Check the facts. Maybe they're lax. Who knows who? Do you? Thank you. Yay. Yay, thank you, Willie. Um, Francis, I see that you have clapped, so you're still there. You ready to go? Yeah, hello, yeah. I'm, I'm, can you hear me? Yeah. I can. Wait, can you see me? No. No, I can't. No, there's something wrong with my um, camera then. Usually, usually you're sideways. Yeah, well, just now, now you're not even getting that. Oh, well, you just listen to the voice instead. Um, <coughs> this poem is called Day for Night. It's a first draft, and it's because someone that I was talking to uh, was discussing filmic techniques, and they said that um, rain or water like um, is notoriously difficult to capture on, on film, and that in black and white films, such as um, Singing in the Rain, they actually use milk. I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, but I was thinking about how bad it must have smelled on set. <laughs> this is Day for Night. If milk shows up better, then the actors will do it in the milk on the back of the rain loft where cubic gallons of Guernsey milk fritter from the sprinklers till the director shouts cut. Singing in the milk, Gene Kelly's intimate creature, creases hung in for days. The putrefaction of fat develops the lactic acid by his epithelial bacteria. If wind machines are too costly, then fishing wires will do. The whooshings of Serrated leaves lacerate in the air like aerofoils, whilst later, the buckle emanations from the spout of a foley artist's pout provide the effects. The silent set, the animated trees, trees, suddenly now ventriloquist pets. And if day can stand for night, nights can be day, with the right amount of spotlight scanning about like a 20th century Fox logo. We can all pretend we're matinee idols or Oscars cursed by a Midas. Funny, it's the things you love that you stuff. You're only as good as your last IMDB credit, he thinks, slipping into the prop department shoes. And anyone can stand in for anyone else during the rehearsals. That body double taking a step back up from the step. Backs up into you and you step down from your trailer and take a step back into a role you've already removed from your CV. Dialing it in, trying to use a yawn in the moment as a creative choice, 
using that wipe of eye crud from the corner of your eye as a motivated action, your generic character might say, back in the heydays, all the scenes setting was done before the opening credits. But they don't do opening credits now. You have to wait to the end until you see your name on the screen. I'll leave it like that. That's me. As you, <laughs> I love you're only as good as your last IMDb credit. <laughs> True, isn't it? That's, that's the truth of it. I suppose so. Um, <laughs> Andy just got in. I just let Andy in. Oh, really? Yeah, Hi, Andy's Andy. Here. Hi, Andy. Yay. Hey, Andy. Um, did you have any more? Um, well, well, you know, if there's time, I mean, I wouldn't. I've got one more I could do. If you, if you got four want. minutes, I've so. got four minutes. Well, another four minutes. So just four minutes. Oh. We have four minutes till we switch to Bart Scratch. I don't know. I mean, does anybody else need to go on the open mic? Pam, I, I'm fine. I, I mean, I, I do poems all the time. So if other people, I think it's more important for other people to share their work than for me to mm -hmm. focus on them myself. So I wasn't expecting one, the nine o'clock rush in <laughs> when I read mine. <laughs> I was worried we were going to have to fill time. Um, go ahead, Francis. As okay. Um, we'll see how many I can fit in then. Uh, right, so I live in Millsborough. I don't know if I've done this one before, but it's a sonnet about Millsborough. Middlesbrough swept out into the North Sea, third generation boom and bust bastards who were born, so it seems, to wear industrial hard hats and fluorescent flak jackets and hard hats with eager defenders. They only hitch up to catch the kind of cat call calls and jokes. I'd make a complaint to Emily and equality and diversity too. Only I don't. And all he worries about is how much disposable income he can staffle up his snap box <laughs> before getting an earache off his missus. And all I worry about is how much I can skim off his coffee tabletop before pissing off him. And it's 3 a.m. And his eyes resemble windowed lag icons as he confides that all she ever was was a desperately needed hole, a desperately needed booking. And her eyes are doing the moon roll scroll over screensaver white, same as his, same as mine. And above this conservatory's double-glazed dome, the moon is doing the same. The cursor scrolls across the screen to the sky. Uh, so that's what happens in Millsborough. Uh, I've got one more that I, I think I've got, I can squeeze in. I've got a, um, an alabaster bust that I look like. Might have done this one too, I don't know. But I've memorised it now. After visiting the British Museum, I meet a man in a London pub who tells me alabaster absorbs fingerprints. That's why curators wear white cotton gloves. Think of all the times I've handled you lovelessly. Your headaches, my harsh remarks. Could a forensic archaeologist split open your head and then identify me? Or was it simply a figure of speech I simply took at face value? Still, I'm sorry for touching you. The sebaceous cysts that crawl, the knotted migraines that 
fool like a tenuous metaphor as I tried to get my head around it, the sense we made. But I'm just as clueless as you. Yeah, that's 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 it then. I mean, no, that's it. Yay. That'll do. I'm Francis Golm. You can find me at Sideburn Poet on Twitter if you'd like to. You should put the link in the chat. I will do. I'll do that now. Yeah. Um. Okay. So I'm not sure. I think everybody's been here for this. Yeah. But in case I'm missing. Or like I'm to intro. So um, this is a little like kind of a new feature that we're experimenting with that we are learning how to do as we're going along. Um, and it's called Scratch Poetry, which was some kind of crazy idea I had um, to like try to transpose the notion of scratch theater into Zoom and also into poetry. <laughs> so. We're seeing how it goes. And um, Bart has was um, kind enough to step up to the plate and be one of the brave new scratchers along with uh, myself and John Wessick and AJ McKenna. And so it is Bart's turn tonight to scratch. So he's gonna give us some stuff to think, to like look at, read or hear. And then he's gonna ask us questions. So it's author directed feedback. So, He's got questions. Um, if he hasn't asked the question, basically he doesn't really want to hear anything other than what the hell he's asking you about. That's the notion, right? Like it's author-directed feedback. So it's not like your regular workshop where you just sort of be like, I feel like, or I wonder, like that kind of just whatever goes. He's got specific questions that he wants answered and we're here to help him answer those questions. So. Take it away, Bart. I'm asking you to watch. You're muted, Bart. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought I muted myself. Uh, no, thank you so much, Aaron. That was such a good intro. Um, this is the piece that I wrote today. Um, well, I pretty much put it together today. Um, it started out as like slam poem, and um. Please, then, I'm going to make you a co-host. Hold on. So if you oh, share your yeah. screen. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, it's just one piece. Kind of like, thought that was slam poem. And then, because I wrote it very quickly, like for this, um, it turned into more of like a lyric essay. And then and, and an elegy as well. So it's an elegy as well. Um, from my grand. It's called, When I'm Dead, Take My Body and Do Cool Shit With It. Oh. I am on my own in the sense that I do not own anything that won't perish with me. In this sense, I only own my body. In this sense, I don't even completely own my body. It will fall out of my possession when I die and belong to others when I'm alive. I've often fantasized about that moment when I could leave my dead body behind as a gift. Preferably to a lover or a long-term friend who I've earned with the hope that they don't feel burdened and a note that tells them to do something fun with it. Cool shit in brackets. So they know to plan something unsensible while I'm uncensored. One last adventure to end all our adventures together. 
like roly poly me down an office escalator or bury me in a public botanical garden at midnight or leave me on my fa third favorite village bench, then come back for me. I love the image of a friend pushing me down the street in a wheelbarrow or somehow drinking a beer, a repayment for the night I took him home in a wheelbarrow. And my mum always worried about her wheelbarrow and never who was in it. The times I snatched it from where it lay on the back path near our neighbor's wall, lake in rust and holy, surrounded by white wildflowers, their heads, white core flowers in the darkness. I know this is indecent and unclean, like the Sharon of <laughs> like the Sharon of poetry, sexual fetishes or dreams, best kept away from the general public or family, but not unhuman, not unpracticed in society throughout history or unseen in 90s adventures, adventure movies starring the late Sean Connery, like the ending of First Night, when the body of King Arthur, Sean Connery, is tied to a floating pyre with almost a hundred swords stuck into it and then lit and pushed out into the lake. And it's the wish to be represented as we are in life, in death, to not fade away unseen like the lyrics of a typewriter song, sweet with cadences. The only open coffin I've ever seen has my great uncle Mike Casey in it. He and his brother Jim are the last inhabitants of Begnish, a small island in Kerry where they lived together until they were 85 and 88, respectively. They were both 92 when they died. Mike, the last to go. Such was the occasion my mom flew us over on short notice from Devon, England. I barely recognized my dad or my Auntie Mary at the funeral. My dad looked like every man from the back in a suit. My auntie looked like no one. The next to the coffin, bursting into torrential rain before looking joyful again. He was wearing a blue suit and his white hair was blow dried. His cheeks were painted with varnish and blusher. His strong jaw pushed up. Nearly looked at peace. Doesn't he look nice, my auntie said repeatedly, with more pride each time. Doesn't he look nice? Fussing over him, like she did when he was alive. And he lived with, when he lived with her in his later years. She always hid whiskey bottles from him until he reversed the trick. And he had bottles hidden all around my dad's house. It was like the prohibition. The first thing she'd do when she came up was search the yard, looking in drain pipes and under turned paint and under overturned paint pots. I swear the one time that I saw her catch him with one and try to pull it out of him and try to pull it from his hands, there was not half an inch of give in his 91 year old grip. And my Aunt Mary is strong. My dad said that when he saw him in the coffin, he still looked strong, that he still felt like he was gonna reach up with one hand and grab him on the forearm like when you're helping someone in and out of a boat. How the coffin looked like a boat. My dad 
said he felt the same thing with his brother Jim, that there was something not completely gone in him. But with Jim, it was further up in his neck and head, like he was going to sit up and suddenly say something. That Perhaps that's how it is for everyone. There's a place in your body where the energy is last to leave. The last time I saw my gran, which was two days before Christmas, we drove over to my aunt, aunt's house where my mum was living. We didn't go in because of COVID reasons. We stood in the in the garden by the honeysuckle and looked in the window. She lay there. Most of her body was very still. Hair and face very white. Made more so by the sunlight. But there was energy bursting out of her eyes and her hands. And she smiled and blew kisses. This is the point in this piece where she becomes a you and where the poem comes back again. Energy is a poem that takes the reader into the place a poem goes, a place of prayer. It talks to nothing, to the spirit, to everything, even if you never liked poetry, and definitely not this kind of overthinking. Such thinking rips a hole in time where a poem can live. And of course, in that space, I never had a voice. I was always voiceless. And of course, I am the voiceless voice, that small hope. I want to try a poem to tell you what it felt like to carry your weight. The saddest thing about your funeral was seeing the undertaker, our neighbor, hasn't looked the same since his wife died. I remember I was at home that night she passed and I heard him at 1 a.m. moving through the small shed, moving through the builder's yard into the small shed that is the village morgue. I was there too when you were there and I thought I'd write you a poem to let you know what it felt to carry your weight but only one person was allowed to touch the coffin because we'd entered level four of lockdown. Instead, I will tell you this. When my two cousins had stopped playing their music, when my youngest cousin put down her violin and her brother his accordion, their parents reached out and put their hands on them and said, well done. My aunt put, put my hand on my cousin, my mum, put her hand on my aunt and my older brother on my mom and I nudged my brother and he put his hand on my shoulder and I reached over to my younger brother who was sitting in the seat down because he didn't want to read any prayers or poetry and I put a hand on his shoulder. Right, thank you. And that's it and I'll show you the uh, questions. Uh, that was such yeah. an unexpected ending. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Show us our um, questions. Show us our homework. Our scratch. <laughs> your homework. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I share screen. There's like a million documents there. It's. There you go. Um, does the talk of dead bodies need trigger warnings? I should have said that at the beginning, actually. Um, anything else need a trigger warning? Anything uncomfortable? Can you make it bigger? Because I, ca I can't see that. And I... Oh, shit. Like... Yeah, like widen the dock or something. Oh, I can see. Well, is everybody cool? Yeah. Uh, there are only four questions. 
No, there's more. Okay. So I can't see. I can only see four. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's enough. I think, I'll, I think there's the sixth one as well. But I'll, okay, okay. okay. So, oh, whoa. Okay. Are you going to put them in chat? Or? Yeah, put them in chat. Oh, gosh. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Where is the chat? Am I allowed to make that bigger some for myself? No, I'm not. If I'm sharing my screen, does the chat disappear? I can't. Um, yeah, that's a weird, that's like kind of a weird thing. And now that's. Oh. Okay. Can you make the document bigger? Like pull it down? Do you know what I mean? Like pull. Um, yeah, I'm just going to post them in chat as well. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to do that with my, like, um, it's like, how do I get rid of, uh, it's the, like, oh, just, like, like, um, view the, like, enter slideshow or something. Can I do that? Is this a PowerPoint? No, it's not. Can't you just make the document bigger or no? It's very big at the moment. Cause, well, not to us. Cause if, you, if I made it bigger, you wouldn't be able to see, like, it's only be one question, if that makes sense. No, because there's a whole, I don't know about everybody else, but there's a whole bunch of black space around the document. It's like taking up like this much of the screen. And there's like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I think that that's just because like, um, you know, when you've got like the, sorry, when you've got like the bar, this is very big on my computer, if that makes sense. Right. Okay, so you can't see it, all right. Okay, well, read the questions for us. It looks normal, Mike. Really? Okay, cool. Hi, Chavez. <laughs> what the fuck? Damn. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Read. Sorry, sorry. I just said that's crazy. Like, this is my buddy from Minneapolis. I haven't seen for a long time. Uh, go ahead, Bart. Read the questions for us. Yeah. Um. Does yeah. Does the dog dead bodies need trigger warnings or anything else need trigger warnings? Anything uncomfortable? Anything yeah. that says awkwardly in this piece, anything that you would take out, uh, what works? Um, are there too many different mentions of different people and different family members? Uh, too many different strands? Um, anything that isn't clear? Um, as this was a very quick draft, is there anything you would change with the form? Would you move, move more towards poetry or more towards prose? Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll take. We're going to take five or something. Yeah, take five to just like. And the questions are in the chat, babies. So, yeah, I'm trying to get my chat to pop out and it won't. But I'm going to mute myself while I fight with my computer.
This is, I know this is indecent and unclean, like the sharing of poetry, sexual fetishes or dreams, best kept away from the general public or family, but not unhuman, unpracticed in society throughout history, or unseen in 90s adventure movies starring a late Sean Connery, like the end of the first night, when the, when the body of King Arthur, Sean Connery, is tied to a floating pyre with almost a hundred swords stuck into it, then lit and pushed out into the lake. It's the, it is the wish to be represented as we are in life, in death, to not fade away unseen like the lyrics to a neighbor's typewriter song, sweet with cadences. The only open coffin I ever saw had my great uncle Mike Casey in it. He and his brother Jim were the last inhabitants of Begnish, a small island in Kerry where they lived until they were 85 and 88, respectively. They were, they were both 92 when they died, Mike the last to go. Such was the occasion my mom flew us over on short notice from Devon, England. Barely recognized my dad or my Auntie Mary at the funeral. My dad looked like every man from the back in a suit, and my auntie looked like no one. The next to the coffin, bursting into torrential rain, were looking joyful again. He was wearing a blue suit and, and his white hair blow-dried, cheeks paint, painted with varnish and blusher, a strong jaw pushed up. He looked at peace. Doesn't he look nice, my auntie said repetitively, with more pride each time, fussing over him like she did when he was alive. In his later years, when he lived with her, he was always hiding whiskey bottles from him, he reversed the trick. 
and had bottles hidden all over my dad's house. It was like the pro prohibition. The first thing she'd do when she came up was search the yard, looking in drain pipes and under upturned paint pots. I swear the one time I saw her catch him with one and try to pull it out of his hands, there was not half an inch of give in this 91-year-old grip. I mean, Auntie Mary is strong. My dad said that when he saw him in the coffin, he still looked strong. That he still felt like he was going to reach up with one hand and grab his forearm. Like you were helping someone in and out of a boat. How the coffin looked like a boat. My dad said he felt the same thing with his brother Jim. That was something not, that there was something not completely gone in him. But with Jim, it was further up in his neck and head like he was going to sit up suddenly and say something. Perhaps that's how it is for everyone. There is a place, the body, a place in the body where the energy is last to leave. The last time I saw my gran, which was two days before Christmas, drove over to my aunt's house where my mom was. It didn't go in because of COVID reasons. We stood in the garden by the honeysuckle and looked in the window. She lay there most of her body very still, her face very white, like her hair, made more so by the sunlight. But there was energy bursting out of her eyes and her hands as she smiled and blew kisses. This is the point in the piece where she becomes a you and where the poem enters again. Elegy is a poem that takes a reader into the place the poem goes, a place of prayer. It talks to nothing, to the spirit, to everything, even if you never liked poetry, and definitely not this kind of overthinking. Such thinking rips a hole in time where a poem can live. And of course, in that space, I never had a voice. I was always voiceless. And of course, I am that voiceless voice, that small hope. I wanted to write a poem to tell you what it felt like to carry your weight. The saddest thing about your funeral was seeing the undertaker, our neighbor who hasn't looked the same since his wife died. I remember I was at home visiting that night she passed and I heard him at 1am moving through the builder's yard to the small shed that's our village morgue. And I was too, and I was there too when you were there. I thought I'd write you a poem to let you know what it felt like to carry your coffin, but only one person was allowed to touch it because we then did level four of lockdown Instead, I will tell you this. When my cousins had stopped playing music, when my youngest cousin put down her violin and her brother his accordion, their parents reached out and put their hands on each of them. My aunt put her hand on my cousin and my mom on my aunt and my brother on my mom. And I nudged my brother and he reached out and put a hand on my shoulder. And I reached over to my younger brother who was sitting in the seat down because he didn't want to be involved in the prayer or poetry reading and put a hand on his shoulder. <laughs> Sorry, I wrote that early in like, no, I, really I mean, in this, in this particular case, I oh, think it's for sure good that we heard it twice. Okay, so let's go for the first one and everybody unmute yourself. Let's just go for it. What do you think? Does it need a trigger warning? No. 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 Yeah, no. no. Okay. Okay. <coughs> <laughs> Nothing uncomfortable. All right. Um, 
<laughs> and I'll, be, I'll be sending you, I'll save the chat on the part and send it. <coughs> okay, so um, I, I read some of the preliminary comments before we read it again. I suspect John has something to say about this question. Is there anything that sits awkwardly or that you would take out? Okay, well, I, I will. I will say it. Yes, uh, look, Bart. You know, you start off with an interesting premise. Okay, what are you going to do with my body when I'm dead? I want you to have fun with it, and that, that that's kind of interesting to to explore. Um, then the whole business about you know about your family and and your family's funerals and stuff like that. Um, I didn't care about them because you didn't really give me anything about them any reason to care about them you know you kind of describe some uh you know typical situations that you know are, are, are kind of typical with people but it doesn't make it out of it doesn't rise out of the ordinary and it's nothing that i think as a reader i would really be interested in so uh you know either i would say just stick with the first part and build on that or you know if you want to talk about your family you know find things that are really unusual and really, really sort of special about them that, that are going to make the reader care. See, I think that like the stuff, the details about the fights, hiding bottles and stuff, but I don't know if that's your grandmother or your parents that, but I mean, obviously like I would know if I were reading it, but I think there is an unusual situation here in the fact that only one person was allowed to touch the coffin because of COVID but we don't find that out until at, cause you've like, you've got several sections, right? Like you, there's the body stuff that John's talking about and then you switch to your family. And then there's a flight of fancy about the two uncles that died. Like, and there's a very stream of consciousness kind of thing that see, I disagree yeah. with you. I think you could make that work. Like, but I'm the kind of person who tells stories like that. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I mean, do you know what i mean i kind of switched to my ground don't i and, and i don't really mention that she's in england or anything so i should mention that shouldn't i right uh, that's the two halves of my family so, yeah, i feel like it could try and make that more yeah like yeah. i think john's point yeah. is fair in the sense that like like yeah no I, I agree. yeah there may be more details but i I don't think that you need to like or, 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 the, or the other thing good, or the other the other thing you could do is you, you could look at you know, what really stands out about, there's a whole lot of stuff about your family. What really stands out about them, you know, whittle it down to the things that are really unusual and really, really striking. That might be another way to go. And I, I like, um, Aaron, I, I like both of what I've heard. Um, the, 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 yeah, the body, the, the stuff, the body stuff at the beginning works really well. Also, I sort of like the, the dueling uncles or the twin uncles part. Maybe a suggestion is think upon it um, in a very cinematic way, sort of the mise-en-scene, and, and just structure it sort of as uh, separate scenes in a play and, uh, and invoke your visual sense or something. And just, it can be, um, yeah, it could almost bounce from uh, the, you know, what's going to go on with your dead body to... The uncles, the uncles part I found really fascinating and sort of gonzo, which to me sort of fits with your, the, the intro and the premise of, of it. So yeah. I don't see, and I, I don't know in, in, in a sort of like what, um, scene shift, 
I could I could see those two um, really working well together. So that's about all I have to say. As yeah, for, I agree with after, I agree as with of that. stuff to take out, you used a lot of similes, and I think it could just be stronger as a straight metaphor. When you said that the coffin was like a boat, and you were saying it was like prohibition, just say it. Uh, it was prohibition. The house. So sometimes you go into this past tense. It's more active if it's happening. And so a lot of times I felt like you were going back from past tense to present and there was a simile. Just take out every simile. Take out all the likes and just go with straight metaphor. It'll be a lot stronger. Just right. That's just purely technical. And it's more Irish as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, seem more, it'll seem more Irish if I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It seems like um, I, I agree with Leslie. Um, as I was listening to it, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Could somehow amp up your? There we go. Oh I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I don't know about other people. In, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I was saying I agree with Leslie. As I was listening to the your second. voice is gone again. Oh my God! This is so fucking. Just like just fading, Yamez. It's just like fading in and out, kind of like it's like just, this weird. Yeah, shout maybe. It's okay to shout. <laughs> are, you, are you moving away well, from the microphone like or changing the direction that you're speaking? Not in here. Uh, <laughs> never mind. I have nothing important to say. Oh, shut up! I Come like on. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you were saying that you think it's a. I mean. You can type it in the chat too. I type it in the yeah. chat. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, because I, I, I know Jamez 